Ben Fred Fridays on Scoops with Danny Mac as we talk it over with Ben Fredrickson of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. It's a busy sports weekend. Mizzou, they've got spring football. They've got a big basketball game. You've got City kicking off the home portion of their schedule. You've got Arch Madness downtown, and spring training continues for the St. Louis Cardinals. And, uh, Ben, let's get caught up. It's been a busy week. How you doing? Doing well, man. Uh, I'm shipping out to uh, Cardinals spring training, so I feel like I'm going to be missing a lot in St. Louis. but. That's how you want it, right? We want a busy schedule, a busy slate of sports. There have certainly been times where this part of the year has felt not so busy. But, uh, man, with soccer taking off, um, with people fired up about XFL, that home game approaching, Arch Madness, it's a it's a whirlwind. So I'm not complaining. I, I think back to those days when we were wondering what the heck to talk about during the pandemic. And this is uh, this is the total opposite of that, and, and I'll take it. The city is buzzing about soccer, aren't they? Man, no kidding. Um, we knew it was going to be, you know, amped for the the home opener, regardless of what happened in that first game down in Austin. But it sure seems like you know, city went into that game, and it's just one game, so you take that into consideration. But they went in, and everybody was kind of you know expecting this team to to struggle. It's natural for expansion teams to really struggle out of the gate. Austin was one of the best teams in the league last season, certainly in the West. And for them to make that statement, A, get a win, B, just have a style that that seems to hold up against one of the better teams to show some depth after an injury. Um, I, I think they I think they opened some eyes and they're not gonna win every game, Dan, and they're gonna go through those expansion growing pains, but they've got some guys who maybe were a little under uh underappreciated on the roster and they've got a system that they think will uh, will hold up against some of the better opponents so I think it just turns up the volume even more on that on that home opener against Charlotte it's going to be a it's going to be a madhouse downtown I not everybody who wants to go to the game will be able to get in but you know there will be people around the ballpark and there's so many great little spots around the ballpark to enjoy the atmosphere that I think it's gonna it's kind of gonna have that Cardinals opening day kind of vibe. I, I think too that it's more of a celebration for the city to get the soccer yeah. team, regardless of the outcome of the game. It'd be uh, great to see him win, but it's kind of a celebration for what has been a long road to get to this point. Absolutely. I mean, everybody who wanted this for years and years, or those who are maybe more newcomers to it, who are just going to support anything St. Louis, it's really just a it's a celebration. And, you know, one of the cool things about city park is it's pretty open in that you don't have to be inside it to, to get a feel for what's going on inside. Um, you can almost see parts of it through the gates from around the stadium. It's going to feel, I think almost kind of like you're on a, a concert grounds or something where you don't have to be in the building as a paying customer to, to be able to feel that atmosphere. And, I'm excited for the businesses that have really tried to, you know, tap into this and rightfully so. I mean, you look at some of the renovations that have happened around that area of places that are saying, yeah, we're going to try to capitalize on people being there at the, at the, at the, you know, the stadium. That's great. So I think people are just going to go down and see what it's about and see the the fans marching and chanting and it's going to be a loud, crazy weekend. So, and then you'll have the, you know, (laughs) the, the Arch Madness folks in town too, and they always they always show up and support. So it's going to be good. It's going to be a good good time for downtown St. Louis, and um, a time where where hopefully you know it's reminding everybody of the power of sports and and how sports is really a driving 
economic factor for our region here. Well, that's where you led me is Arch Madness. It's important to have this in town. And, you know, you can be involved in in the Valley and there's a lot of alums that uh, are a part of it. But the bottom line is it, it brings a lot of commerce. It brings a lot of activity downtown. And that's that's ultimately a good thing for the city. Absolutely. And you get Murray State and their electric fan base um, added into this. And, you know, you've got proud basketball programs and their fans that'll be showing up. And I love Arch Madness. I, one of the cool, I don't want to say cool, but one of the silver linings to me last year of the lockout in baseball, Dan, was that I got to be around and I wasn't at spring training for Arch Madness. And I got to cover it start to finish. And it's one of the best events that we have here in St. Louis. There's something magical about a bunch of teams after battling it out in the conference season, showing up for a week in, weekend in St. Louis, knowing that there's one golden ticket to the big dance. It's always the first tournament. It's always kind of the first, the first uh, you know, episode of March Madness, and it always delivers. It doesn't matter who was the who was the also ran in conference play. It doesn't matter how many times a team has beaten another team. There are always surprises. There are always, you know, there are always storylines that that jump out and, you know, players take it to another level. So if you're a fan of college basketball, um, check it out. If you're a fan of the Valley, you're already watching, you're already going. I don't, I don't need to tell you anything, but if you just want to see some college basketball that's that's well played at a high level and these aren't always the guys who are making you know, millions of dollars on NIL deals. I know some people have kind of gotten turned off by college sports for various reasons. These, these are, these are about as, as authentic, you know, throwback college basketball players as you're going to see left. So it's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty great event and I'm sure I'm glad it's here. Stay with the college scene. Are you concerned about Sam Horn, who is a dual sport uh, football baseball player at Mizzou some arm issues uh, the other day in a baseball game highly touted as a QB but uh, also to kind of piggyback on that Mizzou spring football gets going too I think you got to be a little concerned if you're if you were of the Mizzou fans that were hoping he was going to be the starting quarterback this fall maybe not because the it's it's a forearm issue Dan and it sounds like something he's dealt with before so they kind of scaled back some of the early concerns, but you and I know that anytime there's a forearm issue and a guy who throws a baseball, it's not exactly nothing. Um, you got to see how that develops and, and plays out. But here's the deal. He's good at, at pitching. He's a freshman at Mizzou and he's throwing high nineties off the mound as a true freshman. This guy's got a career in baseball. I saw some football fans going well, why doesn't he just shut down playing baseball? He came to Mizzou in part because they were going to let him play both, and he turned down, you know, a chance to enter the MLB draft because he he I think in part because of the NIL action that he got at Mizzou. So he's going to continue to try to balance both of these, but it's tough because remember you got that rule where you've got only got so many hours you can spend on sports. So he's got to kind of split his time between football and baseball. Here's what I think it does. I think it really opens the door if he's going to be limited, especially early on in spring. And it sounds like he'll be up to speed pretty quick on the football side of things, but not starting out full go and they'll have to monitor it. I think it opens the door for that Jake Garcia transfer, the Miami kid to come in and perhaps, you know, really get a first crack at the starter job this spring. Cause remember Brady cook is going to be out. He had shoulder surgery. Now you've got Sam Horn splitting time with baseball and perhaps limited in some ways if this if this forearm issue 
barks up on him. This is going to be very quickly could be Jake Garcia's spring and his chance to really, you know, grab that that starter job. I wouldn't be surprised if if we kind of see him start to emerge because of these circumstances. What are the other storylines as uh, football kind of kicks off this spring? Well, the big one is, I mean, it's not sexy and nobody likes to talk about it, but they've got to get a better offensive line play. Um, that killed them last year, and it was part of the reason I think criticism of Brady Cook was so uh, was so strong sometimes. So they've got some guys back. They've got some new guys. They've got some young guys who've got a little experience who should be better. They've got a center who was supposed to be able to play last year who transferred in from Buffalo who's now eligible. So he's he could be your starter. So that's going to be kind of one of the low-key storylines. The biggest one will be quarterbacks, which we touched on. Can the defense continue to hold its own? They got a lot of guys back from the NFL um, draft consideration, which is good. Everybody's going, why did you come back? Why did you come back? It's because they got NIL deals, which is partly helping teams hold on to their good players who are kind of on that fringe between college and the pro. And then the other one is going to be replacing – you know, the production they got from Dominic Lovett, remember he transferred to Georgia and now they're putting Luther Burden, the star sophomore now who went through those freshman growing pains in that same position. He's going to play that slot receiver and they're hoping they get that kind of production, if not more, in a spot where they think he'll really be able to thrive. But you got to have a quarterback who can get him the ball and you got to have an offensive line that can uh, that can protect the quarterback. So you got to start there and and then zoom out. The biggest storyline is that this is a massive year for Eli Drinkwitz. He got the raise. He got the extension. Um, it's time for him to do more than kind of uh, piddle around and, and get into a ho-hum bowl game. Mizzou hoops. They beat LSU. They come from behind. They've had a bunch of those wins late in games, but they win them. They have been winning games. Sign of a good team. And I, I guess the question is, what kind of seed do they get in the SEC? What kind of seed do they get in the NCAA tournament? Well, I mean, they have a chance to enter the SEC tournament with 23 regular season wins. Um, their final game is at home against Ole Miss, which is a, just a terrible team that has already gone through a coaching change. So they're in it. They're 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 a tournament team, no matter what. It's can they improve it based off of based off of maybe some sort of NCAA tournament run? Right now, I think you're going to see them in that kind of eight to nine seed range you'd like to try to improve that some with maybe a little magic at the sec tournament because those are uh those are tough tough bracket lines those eight nines so you'd like to try to try to improve that and get get away from that a little bit but you know they they have a chance here depending on how things shake out on saturday to uh to be as high as like the number three seed headed into the sec tournament which should allow them to have a little bit easier path so Right now, it's not about can they get in. It's about can you pad it? Can you can you get in on a little bit better bracket line? And I did not think we would be talking <laughs> like this about this team. And Dan, they they were kind of on the ropes. It seemed they they lost back to back games for the first time in a while after that loss to A and M. And they've turned around and they've won three straight. They they beat Mississippi State in overtime. They've taken care of business now. Back to back games. On the road, Des Moines Hodge is, is scoring at a high level again, and they look like they're kind of ready for tournament play. And they've done it despite you know the ups and downs of Isaiah Mosley. And I think it's a credit to this team that they haven't let that become the thing that's derailed them. We've seen teams that get totally you know spun out if if a good player is unavailable or if he's a mystery. 
And this team has has done a good job of managing that and and really kind of uh, you know turning away from what could have been a negative storyline. I know that uh, you're probably already thinking of some of the things you want to write about in spring training. So what comes to mind? Well, I, I think that figuring out to me like the the thing I was thinking about most today is trying to start to dig into okay, what's the order, the pecking order, going to be of some of these guys who are clearly able to provide something at the major league level. But there's a little bit of a jam. I mean, we it's in the outfield, right, with Jordan Walker looming. Um, and you've got a guy like Alec Burleson who barely got a taste last year who everybody's forgotten about. Um, what's his role on this team? Um, what's uh, what's Juan Yepes and how does the Juan Yepes and Nolan Gorman situation work out at DH? Um, so figuring out what they do with all these kind of appealing hitters who have gotten a little bit of a, a chance to prove it in the majors and how they sort them all. And, you know, I I think Cardinals fans, they tend to, and I don't blame them. They tend to think of, okay, there's one spot for everybody and okay, everybody else is extra. So who should they trade to, to, and I don't think that's how they're thinking. I think they like having the depth. We've talked about this team, not having that bench depth before, and now they've got it, but how do they structure it? How do they sort it? And how do they try to get all of these guys a bite at the apple and who gets the first one. I think that's going to be a very compelling thing as these games get more meaningful. Um, and then of course, you know, I hate to be the sound like a predictor of bad things, but they haven't really had any, any bad surprises. And it's just incredibly rare that a team will get through spring training without something. So how will they react? Um, you know, how I think Paul DeYoung is going to be a key storyline for this team. And, and one that's becoming more and more, I guess, pressing. I don't know if it's pressing, but it's maybe something that's becoming a little bit more concerning is Adam Wainwright, you know, is he just tinkering or is he, is his stuff not looking so sharp? So that's going to be, those are all kind of the topics that are swimming through my head right now. I'm curious what you think, like, I'm trying not to go crazy, not trying not to look at spring training sample sizes too much, but I think it is notable that Brendan Donovan has had like less than 10 spring at backs and he's already cracked two homers. Um, this guy was a really good player last year. You were on it as soon as anybody, probably before anyone else stands saying this guy's good and people need to realize all the things he can do and do well. But the one thing he didn't do was he didn't hit for much power. He got on base. He can play every defensive position. Well, he had a great, you know, approach at the plate and I was going, man, I don't want to see this guy come back next season and talk about wanting to hit for more power because what if he gives up, some of those things that he's really good at, but he's come back. He's got a little bit taller of a stance. He still has the same approach, but all of a sudden now he's got those Paul Goldschmidt puck handle bats. And now he's hitting balls out of the yard and making it look kind of easy. And I'm wondering the guy was a four year, four war player last year. And if he starts mixing some home runs into that, look out. Well, the fact is he can play all over the diamond. That's number one. So versatility is, is huge, but uh, how much of a power game will stay from the last couple of years? I, I do think a premium gets put on players like this, players that can spray the ball, players that go deep into counts, and I do think we may see where the pitching is down and we see some of the more traditional baseball that maybe we were accustomed to because it's the, 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 the rules are going to not benefit pitchers in a lot of ways because power pitchers – may not be as powerful as they were because they're going to have to catch their breath and go. You know, Jordan Hicks is going to have to go. Uh, these power pitchers may see spin rates down. 
My point is, a guy like Donovan becomes your traditional baseball player, which he is, and that's why he could be so good this year. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I guess we've referred to them at times as like old school guys. They're going to be new school guys now. Um, Tommy Edmonds, the same way. Stealing guy, bases, too. I mean, he's going to steal. He's going to look at, I, I had not, you know this, but then you forget it. He's been a top five baseball stealer in the league the past two seasons. Oh, yeah. And now you start to give him, he's a smart player. You start to let him understand, okay, they can't, they can't step off without trying to throw over here. I mean, that, the confidence that that will create in him. I think these rules, there are exceptions. Like, obviously, Gallegos, who I think is figuring this thing out as he goes. I think, he's, I think they're, like, they're liking the results they're getting so far from him. But they've got some guys who are, who are going to be at risk because of these rules. I think they have more guys that will benefit. Um, you know, Tyler O'Neill is quick. They've got smart base runners and, and Paul Goldschmidt, um, other guys who are who are capable of of taking bags. And I wonder if they start to to really start to push that a little bit more. But Edmund, I think he has a chance to lead the league in steals. And it, those guys that we used to kind of refer to as like, well, they they would have been great playing the game years and years ago. Maybe those are the guys who are going to be great playing the game now. And that's my and, point. Uh, I think a lot of those guys. I think that's. I think that's what a lot of fans would appreciate. Oh yeah, it's an entertaining style style of baseball. Last year, stolen base attempts between both teams uh, in one game was one and a third. That was it. That was the average. And so John Birdie had forty one steals last year to lead the league. So you you probably are going to see. Uh, I would say in the 60s to 70s. I think it could be that kind of jump. And also, don't forget about the rules with pickoffs. So there's a lot of things that favor more action in the game when it concerns base running and base stealing, and that's a good thing. What about catchers, though? I mean, I, I was trying to say this when people are – some of the Cardinals fans, they got understandably really fired up about Murphy, and they wanted that trade, and they wanted that – and then like you had to kind of like almost talk them into Contreras, but you know everyone was so down on Contreras' defense, and I'm not going to tell you the guy's a, a gold-glove-winning catcher, but one thing he does, he's got a pretty good arm. And if you have a catcher now that doesn't have a strong arm in this, you know, the base base stealing is just going to go bonkers. I think, I think having a catcher who can throw and throw with authority, not only to second, but to try to get guys too far off of first. And Contreras is comfortable with doing that Yadier style first base back pick. I think that's a huge element of the catching game right now that maybe, maybe people are, are overlooking a little bit. I like the baseball rules so far. What's been your early interpretation of what you've seen? I love it. I think that they're going to figure, you know, they're going to figure out some of the nuances. I think you'll see umpires give a little bit more time to pitchers that they have to cover a bag. You know, I think this is, we got, we got to remember this is for umpire, this spring training, you know, install is for umpires too. So I think you'll see kind of some a natural feel starts to develop over the course of games, but I've heard some from some fans who are like, "Hey, they got to really slow that down. They should they should abandon the pitch clock rules in the ninth inning." And I'm like, "Absolutely not. You have to set the rules. The players agreed to this. The league and the players agreed. This was not forced in on anybody. And I think it's working. I mean, I think it's good when you have to think twice about whether or not you're going to get up and you know go to the bathroom or go get that hot dog because you might miss something." You know that you have to you have to have that internal dialogue in any other sport. Okay, when should I time my trip? When should I when should I 
when should I get up to go refill my beverage because I might miss something. And baseball had gotten way too many moments that people were comfortable because they knew they weren't going to miss something. So having to watch, having to pay attention, keeping the action, guys are going to get used to it. They're going to adjust. These are elite professional athletes. And, and I, I like the, I like the clock. I've liked it since I started looking at the numbers from the minors. I mean, when you can cut a half hour of dead time out of a game, it's going to take some getting used to, but I think everybody's going to enjoy it unless you're just, the one thing I've heard people raise, and I think this could be valid is that if you go to the game and enjoy kind of the leisurely pace while you're at a game physically in the stands, it might be, it might feel a little rushed, but I think that's just an adjustment. And I don't think we're going to see games decided by it. I know we're seeing that at spring because it's new, but I think that happens to you one time and you you learn, okay, never again. Um, you don't see very many games in college basketball or in the NBA decided by the shot clock. It's very rare that the game ends on a shot clock violation because the players know and, and they know they got to get going. Shift league-wide batting average and balls in play last year was 290. That was it. Lowest since 1992. Left-handed batters in play was 283. Lowest since 89. The left-handed ground ball average was 219. That was the lowest in 20 years. There were 61,000 shifts last year, Ben, and the lefties saw 55% of them. So I just think it's going to be a premium and seeing some of these guys that uh, maybe struggled. I mean, Matt Carpenter obviously comes to mind prior to last year, but others, Joey Gallo, some of these left-handed batters are, are going to benefit greatly by the limit in shifts coming up this season. Yeah, I think we'll see it. I think that... I don't know how much we'll see it affect the Cardinals. Maybe it helps out Dylan Carlson. That would be that would be good for him. But they don't, you know, they've got they don't got they don't have guys who were shifted on an absolute ton, and they've got some guys who are good at kind of going against it. I've described this rule, Dan, as like sometimes, and we don't we don't talk politics on the on the podcast, and we don't need to start. But sometimes you don't like a political party. Not saying which one, but you might like something they do. You like you might like a benefit of a rule they create right and i think that's kind of how i feel about the shift ban i don't like the rule and i don't like the idea behind it but i think i will like the results and if that makes me a hypocrite i I guess it does but i would have liked to see maybe what happens if they would have pushed that back a year and then and then uh you know see what the pitch clock does because you you mentioned some of the reasons pitchers might not be as effective at hitting their spots or bringing that max velocity I thought I think we were seeing some some hitters do what the, you know what was said they couldn't do, which was kind of adjust their swings to to beat the shift. Um, it was a it was for years it was said that that was impossible. That how how dare someone suggest they could adjust their at bats to some of the pitches they were seeing? But now you were seeing guys like a Brendan Donovan who are coming up saying. Yeah, I just I just hit it where I think you know where I where I, where I think that you know it's going to go, and I, I I try to hit, I try to hit it where it's where it where it's where they're not going to be, and you're not there with a a pool cue, you know it's not that easy. But Yadier Molina can tell you that you can absolutely adjust your swing to to change how a shift is effective or not. Um, so there are guys who can do it, and they would tell you yes, and then there are guys who either can't or wouldn't, and they would tell you it was impossible. So I do feel like it's a little bit of a cop out for the hitters instead of forcing them to adjust. But I am I am aware that you know it will be more appealing to watch, and we can't get tied up into 
into who's right or wrong in that because a lot of people the the paying customers were saying that they didn't like the the, the optics of it they don't like seeing a ball smacked that they feel like in their hearts and in their heads that's a hit and all and all of a sudden it's robbed so it's been really interesting to hear kind of the logic from the league none other than Theo Epstein who really created a lot of this stuff that's that took over the game what saying yeah it's best for the game to to scale it back so if if those balls in play average now 300 or above where they're supposed to then then I think people will tell you this rule worked the player, as we wrap it up, that you're looking forward to uh, seeing this spring training, I would assume Jordan Walker would be at the top of the list. Yeah, how could he not be? Um, the size, you know, six five two sixty. He's already had a game where he hit a home run one day and beat out an infield single the next on a on a sprint speed that was among the best in the majors. But I think uh, I think if there's a if there's a one one B, it's got to be Mason Wynn. He's doing some electric things down at spring already. Great defensive plays, um, showing the bat a little bit, and you know the personality is one where he kind of like Walker. I, I think he's gonna he's gonna be a later arrival, but he's also gonna give this team reasons to to think, hey, w- why not sooner rather than later? These young guys are confident, man, and the Cardinals are are glad that they held on to him. And I think fans are starting to to see why too. All right, buddy, what can we expect out of you in the post dispatch this weekend? Well, I'll have uh, Cardinals coverage coming from me starting on uh, for Saturday's paper, so folks can start reading there. And I'll have basically Cardinals columns every day until the team comes back for the home opener. We'll have tons of coverage of the soccer team's home opener. We'll have Arch Madness covered. We've got it all. The Blues are are covered as they're trying to figure out what to do and not do leading into that March 3rd trade deadline. So it's a busy time for the Post-Dispatch, busy time at stltoday.com, and good time to check out the site because we've got constant stuff updating all the time. And always check out scoops with DannyMac.com. Hey, you uploaded the uh, you uploaded the, the Gibson and McCarver talks. Well done, sir. Did you listen? Heck yeah, man. That that's an archive history lesson type of thing. I mean, that should be that that should be required listening for any St. Louis sports fan. Yeah, that was a fun night, no doubt about it. And uh, Really enjoyed those nights. I uh, enjoy visiting with you. And don't forget, go to scoopsatdannymack.com. Bernie Miklas writing every day. Jim Powers on the high school scene. Martin Kilcoin, a contributor as well. And a new podcast has dropped, if you love golf, uh, working with Jay Delsing, Beyond the Fairways, with an S, Beyond the Fairways. And wherever you get your podcast, uh, mark us down. Make a bookmark of it and download it. Our first guest was David Faraday. And uh, there's some... He's one funny dude. That is one guy I'd like to sit down, have lunch with, and just pick his brain because he is a funny, funny guy, whether you like golf or not. So make sure you do that. Ben, safe travels, and uh, we'll catch up next week. You'll be in Jupiter. I'll be here in St. Louis and look forward to that. You bet, man. Have a great weekend and uh, enjoy the uh, enjoy the cornucopia of sports offerings, St. Louis sports fans. It's going to be a memorable weekend. You got it. That's Ben Fredrickson of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch.